Howdy. This is Vosh. You may know me from the YouTube channel, Vosh, where I livestream. Most of it's garbage, but sometimes the good bits get uploaded here. This is previously live. The government lies a lot, but it could never compare to social media disinfo machines in terms of the scale of misinformation. Nothing else even comes close. We're like seven days out from the midterms. There was just an assassination attempt on the Speaker of the House that the right-wing media immediately endorsed and played down to be a joke. The constant threats of violence against like left-leaning officials. And it's like, hey, did you know that the DHS is like poking Facebook and telling them to not spread like the, the belief that the COVID-19 vaccine gives you a third arm or something. I get it, and I agree. I don't want the DHS poking around behind the scenes, but holy shit, do you have a solution? The Department of Homeland Security, the vital organization that has defended America's borders since right after 9-11, with many victories under its belt in protecting American citizens, such as... Right. The Department of Homeland Security is quietly broadening its efforts to curb speech it considers dangerous and investigation by The Intercept has found. Years of internal DHS memos, emails, and documents obtained via leaks in an ongoing lawsuit, as well as public documents, illustrate an expansive effort by the agency to influence tech platforms. The work, much of which remains unknown to the American public, came into clearer view earlier this year when DHS announced a new Disinformation Governance Board, a panel designed to police misinformation, false information spread unintentionally, disinformation, false information spread intentionally, and malinformation, factual information shared typically out of context with harmful intent, that allegedly threatens U.S. interests. While the board was widely ridiculed, immediately scaled back, then shut down within a few months, other initiatives are underway as DHS pivots to monitoring social media now that its original mandate, the War on Terror, has been wound down. Behind closed doors and through pressure on private platforms, the U.S. government has used its power to try to shape online discourse. According to meeting minutes and other records appended to a lawsuit filed by the Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, a Republican who is also running for Senate, Discussions have ranged from the scale and scope of government intervention in online discourse to the mechanics of streamlining takedown requests for false or intentionally misleading info. Now, I want to be clear about something right off the bat. Okay? You ready, you ready for it? First of all, in the modern era, governments are a machine that are designed to do two things. Okay? Learn what you had for breakfast this morning and kill people. Those are the only two things the government exists to do. Everything else is, is side bullshit. It's secondary. It's tertiary. Those are, that's, the, that's what the whole system is for, all right? Breakfast and murder, okay? Yes, it is indeed the torment nexus. Now, there are levels of surveillance that the government has to engage in that are not only uh, inevitable, but also desirable, right? Obviously, if the government didn't collect any information anywhere, we wouldn't have censuses, we wouldn't be able to do any kind of demographic analysis, and the whole field of sociology would rely entirely on private, non-governmental organizations taking rough stabs at things. You know, obviously, to an extent, we do want the gathering of information, we do want the government to keep track of some stuff. Uh, of course, where the government thinks they should stop the information gathering uh, is several kilometers? away from where I think so. 
I mean, we all know, like this is this is what um Snowden uh is in exile for, right? Snowden leaked a ton of shit that the feds were doing to keep track of our info. And at this point, I think you can like safely assume that the government knows basically everything. With the exception of a couple of very specific encrypted apps and systems, the government has legal or extra legal means of uh, obtaining pretty much all information that you could reasonably want to find on a person. And again, you know, uh, there are legitimate reasons sometimes for this information gathering. For example, uh, this information gathering has been used multiple times in like big pedo ring busts, right? Uh, if you hate people like Jeffrey Epstein, well, those are situations where sometimes it can actually be beneficial for some degree of information gathering on the government to be undertaken. Though, of course, Epstein was so wealthy, powerful, and well-connected that it didn't really matter in his case, right? Again, I just want to be clear about that right off the bat, you know? But let's see how far this goes. Platforms have got to get comfortable with government. It's really interesting how hesitant they remain. Microsoft executive Matt Masterson, a former DHS official, texted Jen Easterly, a DHS director, in February. Here's something that I've always respected Apple for. Do you know how much respect I have for Apple? Very little. But here's something that I do respect them for. Uh, Apple, historically, has been unwilling to give the government and the police uh, the ability to break into iPhones. Uh, they do not want to open up a government back-end door into uh, their systems. Meaning that if you die or you're arrested and the government really wants to see what's on your phone and that phone is locked down, they don't get to see what's inside your phone. That phone is locked down. They don't get to see it. Apple won't help them, which I respect enormously. I think that's, you know, I think that's that's great. Can you imagine scenarios where it is useful for the government to have that backdoor into your phone? Of course. What if you're a terrorist and the passcode to defusing the bomb is on your foot? Blah, blah, blah. You can contrive scenarios if you want. Are these scenarios realistic? There are some, yeah. But I think overall, there's far more value in, you know, just walling off access to these things. Uh, not only because you don't want the government getting in whatever they want, but because if you open up a back door for the government, you open it up to everyone who's willing to exploit it. In a March meeting... Laura Demlo, an FBI official, warned that the threat of subversive information on social media could undermine support for the U.S. government. <laughs> Notice the language here. Undermine support for the U.S. government as opposed to, like, undermine support for democracy, you know? Um, uh, uh, Demlo, according to notes of the discussion attended by senior executives from Twitter and J.P. Morgan Chase, stressed that we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable. We do not coordinate with other entities when making content moderation decisions, and we independently evaluate content in line with the Twitter rules, a spokesperson for Twitter wrote in a statement to The Intercept. This isn't real. It's been shown that in certain cases, the FBI has the ability to access iPhones. They've been still been compelled to several times. I don't know the specifics on this. I know that broadly, Apple has been unwilling to cooperate with, un, unless they're like very forced to. I'm sure there's a lot of nuance to that. The broader point is that, yeah, the, the Apple's unwillingness to cooperate is something that I support. There is also a formalized process for government officials to directly flag content on Facebook or Instagram and request that it be throttled or suppressed through a special Facebook portal that requires a government or law enforcement email to use. Hmm. At the time of writing, the content request system at Facebook is still live. DHS and Meta, the parent company for Facebook, did not respond to a request for comment. The FBI declined to comment. 
Government officials can flag content on Facebook or Instagram and request that it be throttled or suppressed through a special Facebook portal that requires a government or law enforcement email to use. So can just any cop potentially or any like just go on there and just like suppress inconvenient information like say information about their abuse towards others, you know, like videos or tweets about stuff they've done. Hmm. Homeland Security's mission to fight disinformation stemming from concerns around Russian influence in the 2016 presidential election, which again, happened, even if you disagree with all of this, it, this was proven to have happened, there's no getting around that, began taking shape during the 2020 election and over efforts to shape discussions around vaccine policy during the coronavirus pandemic. Documents collected by The Intercept from a variety of sources, including current officials and publicly available reports, reveal the evolution of more active measures by the DHS. According to a draft copy of DHS's Quadrennial Homeland Security Review, DHS's capstone report outlining the department's strategy and priorities in the coming years, the department plans to target inaccurate information on a wide range of topics, including the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine. The challenge is particularly acute in marginalized communities, the report states, which are often the targets of false or misleading information, such as false info on voting procedures targeting people of color. Damn, woke DHS out here, fighting uh, racist misinformation. The inclusion of the 2021 U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan is particularly noteworthy given that House Republicans, should they take the majority in the midterms, have vowed to investigate. This makes Benghazi look like a much smaller issue, said Representative Mike Johnson a member of the Armed Services Committee, adding that finding answers will be a top priority. How disinformation is defined by the government has not been clearly articulated, and the inherently subjective nature of what constitutes disinformation provides a broad opening for DHS officials to make politically motivated determinations about what constitutes dangerous speech. How interesting. The DHS justifies these goals, which have expanded far beyond its original purview on foreign threats to encompass disinformation originating domestically, by claiming that terrorist threats can be, quote, exacerbated by misinformation and disinformation spread online. That is such a bullshit cop-out. Oh yeah, dude. We're actually fighting terrorism by giving law enforcement officers backdoor privileges to censor stuff on Facebook because misinformation online is a terrorist threat, you know? Just own up to own up to what you're doing. Like, okay, yeah. It's like such a classic um, surveillance state maneuver here, which... You know, actually, this, like, incredibly arcane, hyper-specific bit of, like, surveillance state bullshit is to protect against terrorism, you know? But the laudable goal of protecting Americans from danger has often been used to conceal political maneuvering. In 2004, for instance, DHS officials faced pressure from the Bush administration to heighten the national threat level for terrorism. In a bid to influence voters prior to the election, according to former DHS Secretary Tom Ridge, U.S. officials have routinely lied about an array of issues, from the causes of its wars in Vietnam and Iraq to their more recent obfuscation around the role of the National Institutes of Health in funding the Wuhan Institute of Virology's coronavirus research. That track record has not prevented the U.S. government from seeking to become arbiters of what constitutes false or dangerous information on inherently political topics. Earlier this year, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis signed a law known by supporters as the Stop Woke Act, lovely, which bans private employers from workplace training asserting an individual's moral character as privileged or oppressed based on his or her race, color, sex, or national origin. The law, critics charged, amounted to a broad suppression of speech deemed offensive. 
The Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, or FIRE, has since filed a lawsuit against DeSantis, alleging unconstitutional censorship. A federal judge temporarily blocked parts of the Stop Woke Act, ruling the law had violated workers' First Amendment rights. Florida's legislators may well find plaintiff speech repugnant, but under our constitutional scheme, the remedy for repugnant speech is more speech, not enforced silence, wrote Judge Mark Walter in a colorful opinion castigating the law. The extent to which the DHS initiatives affect Americans' daily social feeds is unclear. During the 2020 election, the government flagged numerous posts as suspicious, many of which were then taken down, documents cited in the Missouri Attorney General's lawsuit disclosed. And a 2021 report by the Election Integrity Partnership at Stanford University found that of nearly 4,800 flagged items, technology platforms took action on 35%, either removing, labeling, or soft-blocking speech, meaning the users were only able to view content after bypassing a warning screen. The research was done in consultation with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure uh, uh, Security Agency. Remember that time when Vosh was entertaining? Oh, shut up. It's important. Prior to the 2020 election, tech companies including Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Discord, Wikipedia, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and Verizon Media met on a monthly basis with the FBI, CISA, and other uh, government representatives. According to NBC News, the meetings were part of an initiative still ongoing between the private sector and government to discuss how firms would handle misinformation during the election. So I want to talk really quickly about free speech. Are you ready for it? Here's the thing. I don't believe in the free marketplace of ideas in the sense that I don't believe that given a free environment, the best ideas will naturally rise to the top. That is idiotic. Obviously, uh, in an environment where there are no limitations on speech outside of what is explicitly illegal under U.S. law, uh, what you're actually going to see is uh, constant harassment and threats of violence from the most active radical groups uh, having a chilling effect on certain political constituencies, therefore leading to, you know, a, a political favoritism. A good example of this would be the Ku Klux Klan. Now, the Ku Klux Klan was not always considered a terrorist organization, as it is today, and very often the behavior the Ku Klux Klan used to terrorize black people was legal. Chilling out by voting booths and staring at black people as they come by is legal. It is not illegal to do that. It is fully legal to wear a clan, well, back then, you know, it can depend today, you know, it was fully legal to wear a clan outfit and just stare at black people as they walk by, you know, and back then the world was a lot smaller, so it was pretty easy to figure out where these people lived. You could follow them back home. They knew that. The black families knew that. A lot of lynching back then. And it's still legal today. Nowadays, people don't do it in clan hoods. They do it while wearing uh, plate carrier vests and holding AR-15s. Look, we don't live in a magical world where if you just toss all the puzzle pieces of society onto the, onto the ground, they all just magically assemble themselves. It takes a lot of effort and work to build systems that work for people. And part of that has always been the presence of the state or the broader governing body of society when it comes to popular discourse. Now, Long-standing examples of this are most evident in forms of media that predate the internet age. Television? Radio? There are government bodies that determine what you're allowed to do and say on these mediums. In television, for example, there are actually pretty strict rules when it comes to a wide variety of things. Uh, the depiction of violence, certain types of content, uh, swearing... 
nudity. Now, all of these things are, strictly speaking, a uh, an imposition on freedom of speech, right? Think of what a television signal is, or what it used to be, I should say. A television signal, back in the early days of television, was literally an electrical signal that went through cables, TV to TV from broadcasting stations, and the electrical signal would be channeled via magnets to draw content onto a TV screen. That's how those CRT monitors worked. Technically, the, what the government was doing was forming an artificial monopoly on the content that could be channeled through those electrical signals. This is even more clear with radio. The government won't allow you to just set up a radio station. You know why? There are only so many frequencies an area can take when it comes to radio. Because after all, a radio signal, like the frequency of the radio signal, is literally just a wavelength of electromagnetic radiation. And there are only so many wavelengths that you can fit within the appropriate radio range of electromagnetic, you know, energy. If everyone tried to set up a radio station in the same area, they would run out of frequencies. So the government steps in, they set in rules. And that makes sense. Because, honestly, if anyone could set up any radio station they wanted, then, I mean, it would all kind of descend into chaos, you know? You, you, it, it wouldn't... It wouldn't work that well, I think, especially in some areas. People just cloud out the airways with their little ham radio sets. You need a licensing for that. And yeah, enjoy the static of all those overlapping stations. Uh, you'd have all the same frequency signals engaging in destructive interference. It caused static. Everything would sound terrible. But uh, the internet. It used to be that if you wanted to get a message out, you had TV and radio. The internet, now you can reach tens of millions of people. Joe Rogan, tens of millions of people. No rules. No rules. Really. Just don't break the law. No rules. If you want to make your own website and have a bunch of wild shit on there, as long as it doesn't violate the law, the existing law for interpersonal behavior, you can get 10 million people going to that site. That's fine. That's allowed. I just want you to understand. There is absolutely no historical parallel to what we're experiencing now. For as long as mass media has existed, there have always been natural and artificial regulations. A natural regulation might be one of physical limitations, for example. During the days of the printing press, uh, the dissemination of pamphlets and books are limited by the fact that it is a physical medium. You can only print so many of them. I mean, they're physical objects, which means they can be controlled because they exist here with us. But you get on to non-physical stuff, really, like TV and radio, and the government has its rules there. The internet is unparalleled in history. There are no limiters. And as a consequence of that, have you gone online lately? It is a shithole. Incalculable social damage has been done by corporations, by uh, billionaires, and by ill-intended people spreading misinformation, lying, spreading hate, unimaginable amounts of damage. You could never in a million years with a television or a radio as an individual cause as much harm to the social fabric as Alex Jones has with his websites or Steven Crowder has with his channel or Candace Owens, Diamond and Silk. These people have caused incomparable harm with nothing. 
They just create the fabric of their harm from nothing, which is remarkable. Uh, obviously, it goes both ways. A lot of good's been done, too. I don't have any solutions to this because I, I, don't, think, I don't think that you can just get, like, just trust the government to step down and fix all this with censorship. I don't trust the government to do that. At the same time, I recognize, and I think we should all be willing to accept this by now, that as a social experiment, the idea that the internet would be a liberating force for information is not true. Yeah, we have Wikipedia, and Wikipedia struggled for donations. We also have Infowars, led by Alex Jones, an enormously wealthy man. We have access to everything, but that's not what we look at. We look at stuff that is given to us, that is channeled to us through content moderation systems and algorithms that no one has any direct control over because they're algorithmic. And a lot of these systems drip feed us shit. The people are not, in a meaningful sense, more knowledgeable. There might be a version of the internet that is successful, it, it, that, that achieves the original dream, the idea of the internet being fully liberatory, of, of the internet just giving us the knowledge of our species, just everyone, you know? Maybe there's a version of that internet that exists somewhere conceptually in the future, uh, but it's not the one that we have right now. Can we all agree? Can we all agree on that? There might be a version of the internet where it's just an enlightening force. But right now, overwhelmingly, if you go on the internet or social media, you're going to see insane bullshit QAnon. You're going to see uh, reiterated versions of the same racial or gender battles that have been happening for hundreds of years in this country. I mean, seriously, go on any social media platform. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of really cool stuff about chemistry and sociology and anthropology and stuff. But is the site smart? Is Twitter smart as an aggregate? Is TikTok smart? Is Instagram smart? Is Facebook smart? Any smarter than people are in real life? Has there been any accrued value as an aggregate? No. Obviously, these sites all make us stupider. And now that everything has been consolidated into social media, every site people visit is social media. How often do you visit a site that's not social media, by the way? For me, it's Wikipedia. There are a couple of, like, specific politics or games things, news sites. But for the most part, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook. TikTok, uh, Twitter, YouTube, social media sites, all. That's the entire game now, overwhelmingly. Is YouTube social media? Yes. Does VGG count as social media? Yes. Absolutely it does. Netflix isn't social media? No, it's not. Yet. I don't know. Do you all understand the point that I'm trying to get out here? I see people dissenting in chat, but I think, you know, if you disagree with me, that's okay. I'm not making any statements about censorship here. The only statement I'm making is that, like, the internet is an unprecedented thing when it comes to the availability of information, the ability to spread information, the inability to moderate information, and additionally, the internet in its current form has not liberated us from uh, benightedness. You know, it is, I, I do, it is not, the internet in its current form is not a tool that humans use to better themselves in the way that it could have been, that it should have been. Don't you just get a little bit nervous whenever an older person says they read something on Facebook? Like just that opener, like you're at work or something. Oh, I saw on Facebook. And you know, because we all know, don't we, right? The stepped-up counter-disinformation effort began in 2018 following high-profile hacking incidents of U.S. firms when Congress passed and Donald Trump signed the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency Act, 
forming a new wing of the DHS devoted to protecting critical national infrastructure. An August 2022 report by the DHS Office of Inspector General sketches the rapidly accelerating move towards policing disinformation. From the outset, uh, CISA boasted of an evolved mission to monitor social media discussions while routing disinformation concerns to private sector platforms. In 2018, then DHS Secretary Kirshen Nielsen created the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force to respond to election disinformation. The task force, which included members of CISA as well as its Office of Intelligence and Analysis, generated threat intelligence about the election and notified social media platforms and law enforcement. At the same time, DHS began notifying social media companies about voting-related disinformation appearing on social platforms. I think for me, the biggest marker of the internet having failed in the skull is that on 99.9% .9 of issues, seriously, if you just Google anything about like health or the election or anything and just go to a government website and read a three-sentence blurb that was typed up by an intern at some like three-letter agency, you will come away with more and better knowledge than if you went on social media for the answer. You want to know about COVID-19? Well, you can go to um, you can you can go to a government website, read a little bit, and be infinitely better educated than the vast majority of people. Or you can spend several years on social media participating in an unending war against um, against people who are, with the confidence of s philosopher scholars, uh, arguing shit that is not only incorrect, but incomprehensible. And that's just a forever war now. That's just an infinite, unending problem now that we have to deal with. In this respect, and I stand by this, regardless of whatever implications you may derive from it, if the only websites we could access were Wikipedia and some basic government websites that had info on current events, I guarantee you all that we would be better educated as a species on virtually every issue that affects society. I think it would be bad that we only got our information from those sources, but we would be far better educated on these subjects than we are right now because there is so much disinformation that you constantly have to push against. In 2019, the DHS created a separate entity called the Foreign Influence and Interference Branch to generate more detailed intelligence about disinformation the Inspector General report shows. That year, its staff grew to include 15 full and part-time staff dedicated to disinformation analysis. In 2020, the disinformation focus expanded to include COVID-19, according to a Homeland Threat Assessment issued by Acting, Security, a Acting Secretary Chad Wolf. No, because without competition, government sites would go off the rails. No, you guys don't understand. The government, as it stands right now, if you just look at what the government puts out there, is reliably better than the aggregate information you will get on any topic, on any social media site. There is basically no issue that you would be better off getting the aggregate opinion from like social media than you would getting the most rote, direct from the State Department answer imaginable. That is how bad the situation is. Have you guys been on social media lately? Though only in liberal democracies, that is what I'm referring to, America. If you guys want to solve this problem, and God knows that I do, then we have to be straightforward and honest about the problem. And it is that as a product of the internet, we are now more uh, subject to conspiracism and misinformation than we essentially ever have been as a product of available information. People used to be misinformed because the information just didn't exist. I'm not going to blame some medieval peasant for being wrong on shit. I mean, they're barely literate. They don't have a library like, okay, right? 
But today we have everything, and things are worse off for it. This apparatus had a dry run during the 2020 election when CISA began working with other members of the U.S. intelligence community. Office of Intelligence and Analysis personnel attended weekly teleconferences to coordinate intelligence community activities to counter election-related disinformation. According to the IG report, meetings have continued to take place every two weeks since the elections. Emails between DHS officials, Twitter, and the Center for Internet Security outlined the process for such takedown requests during the period leading up to November 2020. Meeting notes show the tech platforms would be called upon to process reports and provide timely responses to include the removal of reported misinformation from the platform where possible. In practice, this often meant state election officials sent examples of potential forms of disinformation to CISA, which would then forward them on to social media companies for a response. Hmm. Under President Joe Biden, the shifting focus on disinformation has continued. In January 2021, CISA replaced the Countering Foreign Influence Task Force with the Misinformation, Disinformation, and Malinformation Team. Great, great naming scheme. Which was created to promote more flexibility to focus on general MDM. By now, the scope of the effort had expanded beyond disinformation produced by foreign governments to include domestic versions. The MDM team, according to one CISA official quoted in the IG report, counters all types of disinformation to be responsive to current events. Okay, let me ask chat something. Let's engage in a group exercise, huh? Let's say you're the government. You're not Biden. You're not CISA. You're not the DHS. You're the government. You're like a Sim City leader. You're like a Civ leader. You're the government. Congratulations. You're the most powerful person on earth. Now, here's the problem. Modern countries benefit from a well-informed population. That's true, you know? Uh, there is a reason why, uh, you know, generally speaking, uh, high degrees of education tend to, uh, you know, tend to correspond with pro-democracy movements. People, when they're educated, they just want to be, they know enough, they want to be more free, they're harder to fool, you know. You want at least a reasonably intelligent, well-educated population. So, you, as the government, realize that through processes over which you have literally no control, people in your country are going f***ing insane. Tens, or possibly hundreds of millions of people buy into conspiracy theories daily, misinformation is rampant, a great many of them seem to believe the last election was fraudulent, despite every bit of available evidence proving that it wasn't. There no longer seems to be any relationship between the truth that you report on and what people actually believe. You see your country going awry, as it is a democracy, uh, the people are making worse and worse decisions. They are operating based on ill-informed premises. What do you do, exactly? It's the, the answer of the radical free speech extremist is to say, well, nothing, I have no solution to this, uh, let, let us simply die, you know. Uh, it is reasonable that the government would make an effort to counter this. Even if you believe the government is acting in bad faith or is power hungry, which it is, and it is, uh, it's reasonable to assume that the state would make an effort at countering this serious civilization-collapsing problem. And that's not an exaggeration. That's exactly what this is going to be if things don't change. So what do you do? I, I mean, right? Like, so you can do nothing, but that's not really a solution, obviously. The systems that exist uh, in their own right without your interference are not solving these issues. You know, to believe these issues will solve themselves without your interference is magical thinking. Why would that happen? Uh, so how... Do you move in? 
prevent bad faith actors from acting. Yes, you could engage in selective censorship. You could craft laws uh, that targeted people uh, who repeatedly lie or slander. You can open up means of legislation against them, uh, civil suits, or you can criminalize certain types of behavior. Uh, you could create shadow departments, like what we're reading right now, where they uh, try to counter misinformation by quietly prying at the back doors of social media to prioritize good info and deprioritize bad info. You can put pressure on corporations in an effort to get them to be more conscientious when it comes to the spread of information on their platforms. Again, something we're seeing right now. But how do you do these things in a way that doesn't meaningfully backfire or infringe on the freedom of your citizens, assuming that was even a priority to begin with? We're in a difficult situation right now. When people cry free speech, what do they cry for? Look at what's happening on Twitter right now. What are the right so excited about with Elon Musk taking over Twitter? The right to be neo-Nazis. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's literally it. Uh, that, and seriously, that's it. They want to be transphobic. They want to be neo-Nazis. They want to say the N-word. That's it. That's literally it. The entirety. You know, well, my free speech is being oppressed. Okay, sure. Your free speech to what? Oh, exclusively bad things. In my mind... If a, if, a, if a form of censorship is exclusively axing those types of people, that's not the worst form of censorship at all, right? Like, I've seen what goes on in China. People get arrested there just for criticizing their government. That doesn't happen here. But getting banned off Twitter for saying the N-word? Okay. You know? All right. But that is a kind of soft censorship. Not a violation of your First Amendment rights, mind you, but it is a kind of censorship, undeniable. So you put pressure on that. You ban more people who say the N-word. Great, fantastic. This is, again, censorship. Is it bad? Well, I don't think that all forms of censorship are necessarily bad because I believe in the viability of a terms of service agreement. Uh, you know, if a website says you can't say the N-word on here and then you say the N-word, you are being censored if you're banned off the platform. Your speech is being uh, silenced, but like, okay. <laughs> really, you know, like, okay. So how do you parse this? What do you do as the government? My main problem is that our neoliberal government considers left speak like acknowledging the CIA has coup law as disinformation. I understand it may seem that way. And there have certainly been instances of anti-left censorship. But at the moment, to my knowledge, People aren't getting axed off social media for saying that, like, the United States facilitated a coup in Guatemala. Could that happen? Is that something the government might want to crack down on? Possibly. Though it would be kind of weird considering that they've since declassified this information. So, you know, it'd be, it'd be kind of strange for them to crack down on that after having enough time having passed that they declassified the information proving everything about that. That, that right there is such a common counter-argument. And I'll admit, it's not always one that I find convincing. If you ban people for saying the N-word, then can't you also ban people for acknowledging America's bad foreign policy? To which my answer is like, yeah, but this is an argument against, uh, this is an argument against the concept of all rules. The idea that you're putting forward is that there's no way of categorically engaging in a certain good type of rules without also doing bad types of rules. Like, we can arrest murderers without arresting people for being, like, Japanese, you know? Because, well, if you, if you can arrest one person for one thing, then... Well, we have arrested people for being Japanese, haven't we? We had uh, a detainment for them on the West Coast during World War II, and that was bad. 
That did happen. But would you then say, recognizing that, that we should no longer arrest people for murder because it might again lead to the arrest of the Japanese? I wouldn't go that far. I feel like we have to acknowledge that even though rules, social rules, are dangerous, they're also necessary, and we have to have an ability to distinguish between different types of rules, the viability, the validity of different expressions of those ideas. If this segment feels a little bit different to you guys, it's because I consider this issue very complicated by nature, and I don't want to cheapen it by sounding hyper-authoritative with my arguments. That's the reason why I'm going through it this way. I find it valuable. Jen Easterly, Biden's appointed director of CISA, swiftly made it clear that she would continue to shift resources in the agency to combat the spread of dangerous forms of information on social media. One could argue we're in the business of critical infrastructure, and the most critical infrastructure is our cognitive infrastructure. So building that resilience to misinformation and disinformation, I think, is incredibly important, said Easterly, speaking at a conference in November 2021. CISA's domain has gradually expanded to encompass more subjects it believes amount to critical infrastructure. Last year, The Intercept reported on the existence of a series of DHS field intelligence reports warning of attacks on cell towers, which it has tied to conspiracy theorists who believe 5G towers spread COVID-19. One intelligence report pointed out that these conspiracy theories are inciting attacks against the communications infrastructure. CISA has defended its burgeoning social media monitoring authorities, stating that once CISA notified a social media platform of disinformation, the social media platform could independently decide whether to remove or modify the post. But as documents revealed by the Missouri lawsuit show, CISA's goal is to make platforms more responsive to their suggestions. In late February, Easterly texted with Matthews Masterson, or Matthew Masterson, a representative at Microsoft who formerly worked at CISA, that she is, quote, trying to get us in a place where Fed can work with platforms to better understand mis-slash-dis-trends so relevant agencies can try to pre-bunk slash debunk as useful. Meeting records of the CISA Cybersecurity Advisory Committee, the main subcommittee that handles disinformation policy at CISA, show a constant effort to expand the scope of the agency's tools to foil disinformation. In June, the same DHS Advisory Committee of CISA, which includes Twitter Head of Legal Policy Trust and Safety Vijaya Gada, who is now fired, uh, and University of Washington Professor Kate Starbird, Starbird, wow, drafted a report to the CISA director calling for an expansive role in the agency in shaping the information ecosystem. The report called on the agency to closely monitor social media platforms of all sizes, mainstream media, cable news, hyperpartisan media, talk radio, and other online resources. They argued that the agency needed to take steps to halt the spread of false and misleading information with a focus on information that undermines key democratic institutions, such as the courts, or by other sectors, such as the financial system or public health measures. To accomplish these broad goals, the report said, CISA should invest in uh, external research to evaluate the efficacy of intervention, specifically with research looking at how alleged information can be countered and how quickly messages spread. Geoff Hale, the director of the Election Security Initiative at CISA, recommended the use of third-party information-sharing nonprofits as a clearinghouse for information to avoid the appearance of government propaganda. Mmm, very cloak and dagger. Last Thursday, immediately following billionaire Elon Musk's completed acquisition of Twitter, Gad was terminated from the company. Hey, I said that. So, a big issue here is uh, transparency, right? It's Jeff, not Geoff. Oh. Uh, a big issue here is transparency, right? So, I think we can all agree that if you, the government, were to take any action to solve these sorts of issues, 
Ideally, those actions would be transparent to the point where it'd be incredibly easy to understand what it is you're doing and why. The lack of transparency is what gives all of this that real sinister edge, and I'm not personally comfortable with letting institutions like the DHS covertly dictate the nature of our cognitive infrastructure, you know? Uh, you want stuff to be open. The problem is, when you do stuff openly, uh, the kinds of people who maliciously spread bad information will usually take that as a sign that the information they're spreading is actually true and that the evil deep state is coming to crack down on them. Or to put it another way, if you have somebody who's spreading a lie about COVID-19 and the government quietly pulls some strings behind the scenes to de-emphasize them in the algorithm and it doesn't really go anywhere, okay, problem, you know, maybe you did it in a bad way, but a problem has been averted. Uh, whereas if you publicly say, hey, for, uh, you know, for, for spreading misinformation, we're going to be like shadow banning this channel for one month or something, or, you know, or not shadow, I guess, cause it's public, you know, we're going to be banning this channel for one month and so on and so forth. That is then an instigatory incident that when they come back, they're going to use as proof that everything they've said is totally correct. Right? Nothing quite like the light hand of censorship to give bad actors the legitimacy to continue spreading bad information, right? Uh, Alex Jones has used this very effectively throughout the entirety of the Sandy Hook trials. You know, oh, they're trying to... <clears throat> I can't do the voice because I screamed in Batman voice earlier, sorry. You know, they're trying to shut me down. You know, they're coming after me, the deep state with these fake lawsuits, blah de blah de blah You know, they love that crap because it makes them feel like a persecuted victim, which is exactly how most conspiracy theorists feel, like, 98% of the time, basically. Difficult, huh? It's almost like the covert manipulation of information might be the most effective way just of dealing with the misinformation, but it also poses its own risks that we can't evaluate externally because it's covert and therefore not capable of being scrutinized from the outside. Therefore, we're solving one problem more effectively, but we're creating another problem of scope and depth that we can't even understand, much less deal with. You know, you may think that YouTube channels spreading misinformation is bad. What the f*** do you think you can do about a fully operational surveillance state, right? The Biden administration, however, did take a stab at making part of this infrastructure public in April 2022. Well, that's a nice move. With the announcement of the Disinformation Governance Board. The exact functions of the board and how it would accomplish its goal of defining and combating MDM were never made clear. Well, never mind. The board faced immediate backlash across the political spectrum. Hmm? See, this is what I mean. Who among us thinks the government should add to its work list the job of determining what is true and what is disinformation? And who thinks the government is capable of telling the truth? Wrote Politico media critic Jack Schaefer. Our government produces lies and disinformation at industrial scale and always has. It overclassifies uh, vital information to block its own citizens from becoming any the wiser. It pays thousands of press aides to play hide the salami with facts. Okay, there might be some people who disagree with me on this, but what I'm about to say is factually correct, okay? The government lies a lot, but it could never compare to social media disinfo machines in terms of the scale of misinformation. Nothing else even comes close. Not even remotely. Not even, it's not, we're not even talking like, within several exponential factors. We're talking like incomparable degrees. We're talking about the volume of an ant to a blue whale. There's no comparison between these two. The disinformation promoted by the government is infinitesimal compared to the sheer fucking volume 
of nonsense that you get from and and by the way america the american government is a relatively honest government compared to plenty out there you know iran china whatever but i would say even if you took like um the russian government which is a a a literally like uses social media to disseminate misinformation the total combined active government funded disinfo efforts from the kremlin would still pale in comparison to a single f***ing day on Boomer Facebook. Not even close. Not even... That's the power of the internet. Once you decentralize disinformation, it becomes mimetic, and it can spread and multiply and permutate faster than anything any central agency could ever do. It is not possible. You could never in a million years with any government institution produce the level of misinformation like, think about it. Even in the actual book, 1984, it took a ministry of truth with people constantly going through older records, censoring stuff, rewriting old texts in order for them to produce a fake world for people to live in. Just go on right-wing media. They do it themselves. You don't need to alter books. You don't need to go back and rewrite magazines. You don't need to, like, alter the physical record. You don't need to put any effort in. Just... Have a couple of unpaid disinformation actors lie constantly enough, and they'll fully believe it. There's no need. Uh, you know, with, with, with the way that disinformation spreads these days, you know, try to, like, talk to your average conservative about how, uh, like, drag time story hour is literally just, like, Halloween costume fun time storybook for kids in a library. And, you know, you don't need a ministry of truth. To, to to get them to disbelieve it. The fact that the physical record has not been corrected is irrelevant. They don't care. They will look at evidence disproving the things they believe and not believe it. They will be provided like, like, like just undefeatable evidence to the, the, the factual incorrectness of their points. And it will not matter. In 1984, it took an entire government to produce that level of delusion. Now it can be done for free by completely untrained, decentralized actors on social media. Millions of people can be pulled into an alternate reality with no alteration to the actual reality they live in. It's an issue. I feel like you're doomer posting. Everything that I'm saying here is correct. DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas alluded to broad scope of the agency's disinformation effort when he told the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee that the role of the board, which by that point had been downgraded to a working group, is to actually develop guidelines, standards, and guardrails to ensure the work that has been ongoing for nearly 10 years does not infringe on people's free speech rights, rights of privacy, civil rights, and civil liberties. It was quite disconcerting, frankly, he added, that the disinformation work that was well underway for many years across different independent administrations was not guided by guardrails. DHS eventually scrapped the Disinfo Governance Board in August. While free speech advocates cheered the dissolution of the board, other government efforts to root out disinfo have not only continued but expanded to encompass additional DHS sub-agencies like Customs and Border Protection which determines whether information about the components spread through social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter is accurate. Other agencies, such as Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the Science and Technology Directorate, whose responsibilities include determining whether social media accounts were bots or humans and how the mayhem caused by bots affects behavior, 
and the Secret Service have also expanded their purview to include disinformation according to the Inspector General report. The draft copy of DHS's 2022 Quadrennial Homeland uh, Security Review, reviewed by The Intercept, also confirms the DHS views the issue of tackling disinformation and misinformation as a growing portion of its core duties. While counterterrorism remains the first and most important mission of the department, it notes, the agency's work on these missions is evolving and dynamic and must now adapt to terror threats exacerbated by misinformation and disinformation spread online, including by domestic violent extremists. Hey, guys, remember when the second person in line to the presidency had an assassination attempt happen on them just a few days ago, which was motivated by far-right online conspiracism? and then immediately got turned into its own conspiracy theory by those exact same right-wing disinfo actors. To accomplish this, the draft quadrennial review calls for DHS to leverage advanced data analytics technology and hire and train skilled specialists to better understand how threat actors use online platforms to introduce and spread toxic narratives intended to inspire or incite violence, as well as work with NGOs and other parts of society, civil society to build resilience to the impacts of false info. Great, so they have no idea what to do. This is techno babble. This, this right here is like king managerial speak. We have to utilize and synergize the patterns to best utilize the... Yeah, I know. I've seen emails like this in fucking Dilbert strips 30 years ago. The broad definition of threat actors posed, uh, posing risks to vaguely defined critical infrastructure, an area as broad as trusted government, public health, elections, and finance markets, have concerned civil libertarians. No matter your political allegiances, all of us have good reason to be concerned about government efforts to pressure private social media platforms into reaching the government's preferred decisions about what content we can see online, said Adam Goldstein, vice president of research at FIRE. Any governmental request to social media platforms to review or remove certain content should be made with extreme transparency. So here's my issue. I might give my hand away a bit here. Here's the issue that I have, okay? I'm going to draw a highly scientific chart. All right, are you ready for it? Okay. In the past, um, okay, if we are to like monitor the amount of harm that's come out of government lies, okay, I'm going to draw a line, okay? It's going to start at the beginning of the uh, millennium, okay? So this line represents the government's, like how much bad the government has done from it lying, okay? Iraq war, that's kind of what I'm drawing. This is a highly scientific chart. The peak is the Iraq war. That was the worst of it, in my opinion, okay? So now in red, I would like to draw the amount of harm that we're facing as a product of um, uh, misinformation on social media. I'm just, I'm just going to draw the line, okay? Just, you get the point. You all, you, know, you all know exactly what I'm about to do here. There's not any mystery to where this is leading. Just, okay. Here's the harm caused by misinformation online. <laughs> So here's the problem. And, and by the way, I fully stand by this. We're, we're literally like on the verge of a fascist coup because of like online disinfo. Like I, I'm fully okay with it. So like leaving us like we're like this is literally like death of the nation shit here in terms of like the, the internet and the misinformation spread through it is the primary vector for which like modern fascism is rising. Okay. So here's my problem. This is a great article. I'm glad that I'm reading it. But I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I'm getting really f***ing tired of people talking about how bad this is when this is trying to stop this without talking about what they want to do about this. 
I have seen so many people with their principled lefty free speech takes on government disinfo. I know. Thank you. Your contributions are valuable. But can we please acknowledge that the only reason we're talking about all this right here is because of this? And we need to do something about this. It's not enough to just say, hey, the method by which the government is trying to counteract this is oppressive and dangerous. Because I agree. I agree with that. I do not want the Department of Homeland Security having backdoor access to all social media sites so they can deprioritize info they find inconvenient. I do not want local sheriff's departments shadow banning people on Twitter after posting like uh, a vi like a like phone cam footage of a, of a sheriff's department guy like beating up some black dude. Like I don't I don't want this. I don't want this arrow to exist. Okay, but for fuck's sake, we need to talk about this. Give me ideas. I'm not smart enough to think of them. Ken. Ken Klippenstein, Stein, I don't know which one it is. Ken, Ken, I don't have answers to this. I'm not smart enough. It's too complicated. This isn't my wheelhouse. Solving this requires such an intricate knowledge, if it can be solved, requires such an intricate knowledge of political science, sociology, um, uh, 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 technology you need like comp sci degrees working with humanities degrees it, which doesn't happen in real life you i need people talking about this so i can read their takes and try to spread them with my platform it's not enough it's not enough to just talk about how this is dangerous i know this is dangerous it's easy to say this is dangerous i know <sighs> Just ban illegal stuff and put disclaimers under disinfo. Thanks, Gilgabro. I'm sure that'll solve it. DHS's expansion into mis, dis, and mal information represents an important strategic retooling for the agency, which was founded in 2002 in response to the 9-11 attacks as a bulwark to coordinate intel and security operations across the government. At the same time, the FBI deployed thousands of agents to focus on counterterrorism efforts through building information, uh, informant networks and intelligence operations designed to prevent similar attacks. But traditional forms of terrorism posed by groups like Al-Qaeda evolved with the rise of social media, with groups like the Islamic State using platforms such as Facebook to recruit and radicalize new members. After initial reluctance, social media giants worked closely with the FBI and DHS to help monitor and remove ISIS-affiliated accounts, which no one seems to have taken issue with. FBI Director James Comey told the Senate Intel Committee that law enforcement agencies needed to rapidly adapt and confront the challenges posed by terror networks that have proven adept at tapping into social media. Intelligence agencies backed new startups designed to monitor the vast flow of information across social networks to better understand emerging narratives and risks. The department has not been fully reauthorized since its inception over 15 years ago, the Senate Homeland Security Committee warned in 2018. As the threat landscape continues to evolve, the department adjusted its organization and activities to address emerging threats and protect the U.S. homeland. This evolution of the department's duties and organization, including the structure and operation of the DHS headquarters, has never been codified in statute. The subsequent military defeat of ISIS forces in Syria and Iraq, along with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, left the homeland security apparatus without a target. Meanwhile, a new threat entered the discourse. The allegation that Russian agents had seeded disinformation on Facebook that tipped the 2016 election towards Donald Trump resulted in the FBI forming the Foreign Influence Task Force, a team devoted to preventing foreign meddling in American elections. 
I really don't like how this is being framed. It's not just the allegation that they did this. They did this. I don't know why lefties are so hesitant. Like, Shu still does this, where it's like, oh, haha, Russian age. But they did do that. According to the DHS meeting minutes from March, the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force this year includes 80 individuals focused on curbing subversive data utilized to drive a wedge between the populace and the government. The department will spearhead initiatives to raise awareness of disinformation campaigns targeting communities in the U.S., providing citizens the tools necessary to identify and halt the spread of information operations intended to promote radicalization of violent extremism or mobilization of violence. DHS Acting Secretary Kevin McAllenon said in a September 2019 strategic framework. DHS also began to broaden its watch to include a wide array of domestic actors viewed as potential sources of radicalization and upheaval. An FBI official interviewed by The Intercept described how, in the summer of 2020 amid the George Floyd protests, he was reassigned from his normal job of countering foreign intel services to monitoring American social media accounts. The official, not authorized to speak publicly, described the reassignment on condition of anonymity. And a June 2020 memo bearing the subject line, Actions to Address the Threat Posed by Domestic Terrorists and Other Domestic Extremists, prepared by DHS Headquarters for Wolf, Trump's acting DHS secretary, delineates plans to, quote, expand information sharing with the tech center, end quote, in order to, quote, identify disinformation campaigns used by domestic terrorism actors to incite violence against infrastructure, ethnic, racial, or religious groups or individuals, end quote. The memo outlines plans to work with private tech sector partners to share unclassified DHS intelligence on, quote, DT actors and their tactics so that platforms can, quote, move effectively, move effectively use their own tools to enforce user agreements slash terms of service and remove DT content. Biden also prioritized. Bosch maybe set up a panel about this topic specifically or get Prime Kai to do it? Absolutely not. The whole f***ing problem is idiots online. Why would I get together eight other people? I barely trust my own takes on this. Jesus. Biden also prioritized such efforts. Last year, the Biden admin released the first national strategy for countering domestic terrorism. The strategy identified a broader priority, enhancing faith in government and addressing the extreme polarization fueled by a crisis of disinformation and misinformation often channeled through social media platforms which can tear Americans apart and lead some to violence. We're working with like-minded government, civil society, and oh my god, this is a schwanger. And the tech sector to address terrorist and violent extremist content online, including through innovative research collaborations, the strategy document continued, adding the administration was, quote, addressing the crisis of dis and misinformation often channeled through social or other media platforms that can fuel extreme polarization and lead some individuals to violence. My goodness. Last year, a top FBI counterterrorism official came under fire when she falsely denied to Congress that the FBI monitors American social media and had therefore missed threats leading up to the attack on the U.S. Capitol on Jan 6. What a stupid thing to lie about. Of course the FBI monitors American social media. In fact, the FBI has spent millions of dollars in social media tracking software like BabelX and Dataminer. According to the Bureau's official guidelines, authorized activities include proactively surfing the internet to find publicly accessible websites and services through which recruitment by terrorist orgs and promotion of terrorist crimes is openly taking place. Another FBI official, a Joint Terrorism Task Force officer, described to The Intercept being reassigned this year from the Bureau's International Terrorism Division, where they had primarily worked on cases involving Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State Group, to the Domestic Terrorism Division to investigate Americans, including anti-government individuals such as racially motivated violent extremists, sovereign citizens, militias, and anarchists. Hey, hey, there we are. 
They work on an undercover basis online to penetrate social networking, chat rooms, online forums, and blogs to detect, enter, dismantle, and disrupt existing and emerging terrorist organizations via online forums, chat rooms, bulletin boards, blogs, websites, and social networking, said the FBI official, who did not have permission to speak in the record. Yeah, feds and discord, it's true. The Privacy Act of 1974, enacted following the Watergate scandal, restricts government data collection of Americans exercising their First Amendment rights, a safeguard that civil liberty groups have argued limits the ability of DHS and the FBI to engage in surveillance of American political speech expressed in social media. The statute, however, maintains exemptions for information collected for the purposes of a criminal or law enforcement investigation. There are no specific legal constraints on the FBI's use of social media, Faiza Patel uh, senior director of the Brennan Center for Justice, Liberty, and National Security Guidelines told uh, The Intercept, the Attorney General guidelines permit agents to look at social media because there is any investigation at all. It's kind of a wild west out there. The first FBI official whom The Intercept interviewed in 2020 amid the George Floyd riots lamented the drift towards warrantless monitoring of Americans saying, man, I don't even know what's legal anymore. In retrospect, the New York Post reporting on the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop ahead of the 2020 election provides an elucidating case study of how this works in an increasingly partisan environment. Much of the media ignored the reporting or assumed it was false, as over 50 former intelligence officials charged that the laptop story was a creation of Russian disinfo campaign. The mainstream media was primed by allegations of election interference in 2016. It's not allegations of election interference. It actually happened. And to be sure, Trump did attempt to use the laptop to disrupt the Biden campaign. Twitter ended up banning links to the New York uh, Post's report on the contents of the laptop during the crucial weeks leading up to the election. Facebook also throttled users' abilities to view the story. Hold, wait, hold, wait. Twitter has a long-standing policy of banning links to stuff involving leaked material. They previously banned, they previously banned links that had a like some expose stuff on a bunch of like police. A bunch of uh like a bunch of police behavior the uh twitter had done that before i like th this wasn't something they just did for the um the hunter biden laptop case i think facebook did it on the behest of the government though in recent months a clearer picture of the government's influence has emerged in an appearance on joe rogan's podcast in august meta ceo mark zuckerberg revealed that facebook had limited sharing of the new york post reporting after a convo with the fbi the background here is that the FBI came to us, some folks in our team, and was like, hey, just so you know, you should be on high alert. There was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election, um, Zuckerberg told Rogan. The FBI told them, Zuckerberg said, that we have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump. When the Post story came out in October 2020, Facebook thought it fit the pattern the FBI had told them to look out for. Zuckerberg said he regretted the decision, as did Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter at the time. Despite claims the laptop's content were forged, the Washington Post confirmed that at least some of the emails on the laptop were authentic. The New York Times authenticated emails from the laptop, many of which were cited in the original New York Post reporting from 2020 October, that the prosecutors have examined as part of the Justice Department's probe whether the President's sons violated the law in a range of issues, including money laundering, tax-related offenses, and foreign lobbying registration. Documents filed in federal court as part of a lawsuit by the Attorney General Missouri and Louisiana add a layer of new detail to Zuckerberg's anecdote, revealing that officials leading the push to expand the government's reach into disinfo also played a quiet role in shaping the decisions of social media giants around the New York Post story. So wait, it wasn't even that the FBI told them to censor the story, it was just the FBI told Zuckerberg be on the lookout for misinfo, so they throttled the 
Hunter Biden story, and then it turns out the vast majority of it really was fake, and there was just some stuff that was proven true. But I'm pretty sure that Twitter already had pre-existing guidelines to, uh, to, to like, ban links to stuff like that. So in what way did the FBI interfere with Twitter? I wonder about this framing. According to records filed in federal court, two previously unnamed FBI agents, Elvis Chen, an FBI special agent in the San Francisco field office, and Demlo, the section chief of the FBI's foreign, uh, foreign influence task force, were involved in high-level communications that allegedly led to Facebook's suppressing of the post reporting. The Hunter Biden laptop story was only the most high-profile example of law enforcement agencies pressuring tech firms. In many cases, the Facebook and Twitter accounts flagged by DHS or its partners as dangerous forms of disinformation or potential foreign influence were clearly parody accounts or accounts with virtually no followers or influence. In May, Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt took the lead in filing a lawsuit to combat what he views as sweeping efforts by the Biden admin to pressure social media companies to moderate certain forms of content appearing on their platforms. The suit alleges government-wide efforts to censor certain stories, especially ones relating to the pandemic. It also names multiple agencies across the government that have participated in efforts to monitor speech and open collusion between the administration and social media companies. It identifies, for example, emails between officials from the National Institutes of Health, including Fauci and Zuckerberg, at the beginning of the pandemic and reveals ongoing discussions between senior Biden administration officials with meta executives on developing content moderation policy on a wide range of issues, including issues related to elections and vaccines. Attorneys for the Biden admin have responded in court by claiming the plaintiffs lack standing and social media firms pursued content moderation policies of their own volition without any coercive influence from the government. On October 21st, the judge presiding over the case granted the attorneys general permission to depose Fauci, CISA officials, and communication specialists from the White House. While the lawsuit has a definite partisan slant, you know shit, pointing the finger at the Biden admin for allegedly seeking to control private speech, many of the uh, subpoenas request information that spans into the Trump era and provides a window into the absurdity of the ongoing effort. There is growing evidence that the legislative and executive branch off officials are using social media companies to engage in censorship by surrogate, said Jonathan Turley, a professor of law at George Washington University who's written about the lawsuit. It is axiomatic that the government cannot do indirectly what it is prohibited from doing directly. What? Wait, that's not, wait, that's not even remotely true. What? The government can't force. Wait, what? The government can't force a private corporation to do some stuff, but it can offer a tax break for doing that sort of stuff, which is indirect pressure to do. Wait, what? Wait, who the f professor of law? Give me your f***ing degree. Jonathan Turley is a source of so many bullshit opinion pieces. That is total bullshit. What? Like, yeah, absolutely not. The, gov the government absolutely has the right to indirectly pressure institutions into doing stuff without doing it directly. That's, this is idiotic. Like, the government can't force two people to marry, but it can indirectly pressure people into marriage with tax benefits. During the 2020 election, the Department of Homeland Security, in an email to an official at Twitter, forwarded info about a potential threat to critical U.S. infrastructure, citing FBI warnings, in this case about an account that could imperil election system integrity. The Twitter user in question had 56 followers, along with a bio that read, DM us your weed store location, Hose be mad, but this is a parody account, under a banner image of Blucifer, 
the 32-foot-tall demonic horse sculpture featured at the entrance of the Denver International Airport. We are not sure if there's any action that can be taken, but we wanted to flag them for consideration. <laughs> wrote a state official on the email thread, forwarding on other examples of accounts that could be confused with official government entities. The Twitter representative responded, we will escalate, thank you. Each email in the chain carried a disclaimer that the agency neither has nor seeks the ability to remove or edit what info is made available on social media platforms. The tagline, however, concerns free speech advocates who note that the agency is attempting to make an end run around the First Amendment by exerting continual pressure on private sector social media firms. The First Amendment protects you from government persecution for your speech. Even if the government was directly putting forward legislation mandating TOS guidelines on social media sites, that would not be a violation of your First Amendment rights. You could argue it is a violation of your free speech or your private speech, not of your First Amendment rights. Yes, it 100% would be. No, it wouldn't be. The government implementing uh, a law that requires certain kinds of TOS would not violate your First Amendment rights because the consequence of violating that would be banned from the site, not from being arrested. The opposite of true, my dude? Wait, are you guys being real? You guys realize that the, 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 the First Amendment and free speech are different things, right? The FCC can kick people off television, even without arresting them. You realize that, right? Like, you can, you can be on... You, 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 you idiots! Why would you disagree with me? You know how this goes every time. It's one chatter. Actually, it was three. The FCC already has guidelines that allows for people to be kicked off the air in a way that does not involve criminal prosecution. That is not a violation of their First Amendment rights. That tagline, however, concerns free speech advocates who know that the agency is attempting to make an end run around the First Amendment by exerting continual pressure on private sector social media firms. Would that be a violation of the First Amendment rights of platform owners, though? When the government suggests things, it's not too hard to pull off the velvet glove and you get the male fist, said Kandub. Kandub? A professor of law at the Michigan State University. And I would consider such actions, especially when it's bureaucratized, as essentially state action and government collusion with the platform. If a foreign authoritarian government sent these messages, noted Dean Strassen, the former president of the ACLU, there's no doubt we would call it censorship. Okay, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be fully 100% totally honest. I don't really give a shit about this article. We're on the cusp of, like, fascists winning. Like, literally, full-on fascists winning. And I'm tired of the one side of this story. I am. Again, I agree with so much of the criticism levy here at the government. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, I guess, I guess an equivalent example would be, like, it's 1942, and it's just a bunch of stories about, like like the mistakes being made by western like allied forces fighting against germany or something you know what i mean like oh yeah like maybe, maybe we did some bad stuff when we did that town invasion or whatever oh dresden oh bloody but you know but like is there perhaps a broader context you know like again i can agree with the criticisms but outside some like way of addressing do you do you understand what i'm talking about here this is um like like what, like, what do we do? Like, what, what do I do with this information? State-enforced banning of hate speech on Twitter would be against the First Amendment. That wouldn't mean that it's not justified. No, it wouldn't. 
You can't spread hate speech. You can't say the N-word on TV either. The FCC is a federal agency that will prevent you, will fine you, kick you off the air. You will lose your TV license if you spread certain types of hate speech on air. That is not a violation of your First Amendment rights. You can argue it's a violation of your free or private speech, but that's not the same as it being a violation of your First Amendment rights. Dresden was fine. I know, I know, I know. Okay, but you need to be clear about what First Amendment entails because you look like you're placing pro-state arguments. This is the thing that f***s me up about this discourse, man. This is the thing that bothers me. I have been saying the entire time we've read this article, I fully agree. I don't want the government to have this power. How does that read as a pro-state argument to you? The entire time. All I'm saying is, well, then what the f*** do we do about the media apparatuses that are about to start building the f***ing death camps in this country? What, like, I'm sorry, we're like seven days out from the midterms. There was just an assassination attempt on the Speaker of the House that the right wing media immediately endorsed and played down to be a joke. Uh, the constant threats of violence against like left leaning officials, the essential like threats, like essentially like genocidal laws being passed and proposed across the country towards like LGBTQ people. And it's like, Hey, did you know that the DHS has like poking Facebook and telling them to not spread like the the belief that the COVID-19 vaccine gives you a third arm or something? I get it and I agree. I don't want the DHS poking around behind the scenes. But holy shit. <laughs> oh my god. Do you have a solution? Anything? Not even going to mention it? Because my bias signals are going off, we are very sensitive to what looks like dog whistles or silent implications. You're delusional, Trostrasi. You're delusional. You're, bo you're boxing ghosts right now. You're actually in a padded cell. You're in a fucking... You're in one of the straight jacket. You're in a straight jacket right now. You're rolling around on the ground. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. I'm so tired of this free speech absolutist discourse as the world burns because of a free speech absolutist attitude. What, like, climate change? Why is it such a f***ing issue? Well, a big part of it is the fact that a wide range of Western governments are crippled on climate change because of the f***ing Murdoch Media Co. Australia, England, America, where does all this anti-climate change, like, denialism shit come from? It comes from f***ing Murdoch. One f***ing guy with enough time and money. One guy sank the planet. And now the UN is saying that 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature raise is a dream that we're not going to be able to reach. Hope we're able to stop before 2.5 degrees C. That'd be nice. One fucking guy. Oh, we want the right for people to say whatever they want online. That sounds good. Oh, there's a fucking pandemic. Let's watch America climb the fucking world leaderboards on how many people can die of it because there are Republicans who have decided to make it a political issue. Oh yeah, you know, how many extra deaths? 100,000, 200,000? How many extra deaths? And a number of people equal to the number we killed in Iraq done domestically by our people. Oh, but you know, the DHS asked Facebook to look out for misinfo and then the Facebook saw the Hunter Biden story, which was 98% lies, but the 2%, there was like one email that was true. And, you know, I know, I know, but do you see where I'm coming at this from? We need solutions to this problem. It is, it is not enough. 
hundreds of thousands dead. Hundreds of millions are going to be dead because of the climate stuff. You think the COVID shit is bad. The world is ending. And a lot of it is going to come from free actors exercising their free speech in a private setting. We knew they were wrong. We knew they were lying. We knew they were doing it for money. And what did we do? Nothing. Because we were so scared of doing or saying anything, of taking any action, that we let the world end. We would rather let the world end. Climate change, war, drought, famine, hundreds of millions dead, mass graves on the border as climate refugees get gunned down by the quadruple-sized border patrol forces every country starts funding, mass fascism. But God forbid we consider moderating Facebook a little harder. God forbid. God. Oh, but it'll, it'll all be worth it. Because at least when the world is ending and we can count the dead by the hundreds of millions, we can look at the archives of the long-since-defunct internet and appreciate the freedom with which people were able to lie on social media. Thank God. What I don't get is you rightfully call out free speech absolutist nonsensical arguments, but you like Kyle, who's been spouting these for years, still is. I've talked with Kyle about this, you know? Um, I, I Kyle's a good guy. He's always been nice. Uh, I guess I have disagreements with Kyle. I mean, Shu's a free speech extremist as well. I'm in good terms with her. I guess in terms of who I get along with, the problem that I have is that, like, having done this for, like, three and a half years now, the majority of people who do what I do are subhuman pieces of shit. Fucking absolute, just naughty. Ooh. A lot of the people who do this are just like these horrible lunch table politics clout goblins. Just terrible people. But Kyle's always been nice. That means a lot to me, you know? Even if I have disagreements. It's not like me not getting on, like along with him would make him have a better take on that issue. But I would not deny myself the pleasure of being on good terms with good people just because I have some disagreements. I hope you all appreciate my frustration on this particular issue. It's one side of the discourse is just so, so, so saturated. But online, like in basically any political circle, except for like, I don't know, hay hive types or just obnoxious liberals, you can't talk about like what to do about disinfo online. Like you just can't. Because it's immediately, it's just like, oh, well, you're a censorship cuck or whatever. It's like, well, I just don't want the fucking plan to.